Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, and welcome to Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, a women's show where we explore a variety of topics relating to women in religion and society. I'm your host, Simila Nam, and in today's episode, we're going to be exploring Muslim female leadership. Of course, we've discussed this many times here on Voice of Islam, but it's clear that the mainstream media continues to quickly label Muslim women as oppressed, meek and silent victims. It takes the way we dress and labels it as, we, as a sign of oppression, simply because we do not meet current so-called standards of beauty here in the West. Many people believe that Muslim women do not have rights within their own religion, whereas Islam was a religion 1,400 years ago, which granted women rights centuries before the West did. For example, the UK only made it legal for women to get a divorce in 1857 through the Matrimonial Causes Act. However, Islam granted this right to women to divorce approximately 1,400 years ago with the advent of Islam. That's the same with women's right to vote, work, pursue education and so much more. So there's no doubt that there were many Muslim women during early Islam that carried the confidence to lead. In fact, Islam was the first and only religion that truly recognised the contribution women were able to make to society and hence aimed to create a social system that put the status of women on equal footing with that of men. In Islam, both Muslim men and women are required to contribute to the betterment of society. And due to that, Islam does not limit Muslim women's pursuit for leadership roles or duties in any manner. On today's show, we will talk about just a few inspirational and pioneering women in early Islam who took on the responsibility of improving society. Starting off with Fatima al-Fihli. As a university student myself and a Muslim woman, it's empowering to know that the first university in the world or an educational institution that followed the model of modern university was founded by a Muslim woman. Fatma al-Fihli is an example of a woman who advocated and led the course of the advancement of knowledge and education of the world. Fatma migrated with her father and sister from Tunisia to Fez in Morocco. Upon the death of her father, she inherited a large fortune. She was fortunate enough to come from a well-educated family, which inspired her to take the large fortune she had inherited and invest in the founding of a mosque and an educational institution that would benefit her local community. Over time, this establishment was created into the University of al qurawin in the year 859, which was named after Fatima's birthplace in Tunisia. The United Nations Educational Scientific Cultural Organization, or UNESCO, recognized university as the first degree-granting educational institution. The university attracted students from across the world to study a variety of subjects, and Fatma herself studied there too. The University of Al-Qarawin is still in operation today and continues to attract students from across the world, continuing Fatma's legacy. Indeed, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings be upon him, reportedly is said to have enjoined his followers to seek knowledge even if they have to travel to China, clearly showing the importance of receiving an education. Before I start discussing the legacy of Fatma al-Fihli, let me first introduce our studio guests, Sophia Aftab and Madhyam Bashid 
who are here with me to discuss female Muslim uh, leadership. Sophia works in medical communications as an account executive and Maryam is a pharmacist. Assalamu alaikum to both of you. Wa alaikum salam. If I can come to you first, Sophia, I briefly f- introduced Fatima al-Fihri. How does Fatima al-Fihri's actions many centuries ago affect us today? Thank you. Um, Fatima al-Fihri is a very interesting and pioneering Muslim woman, as you've just mentioned. The fact that the first establishment of higher education was founded by a Muslim woman reinforces the fact that females in Islam are able to and should aspire to keep educating themselves and attain as much knowledge and experience as possible. The advent of Islam and the Holy Quran has paved the way for all Muslims, male or female, to achieve the best for society. One of the um, important ways this can be achieved is by the sharing and expanding of knowledge. In the Holy Quran, there is a prayer, O my Lord, increase my knowledge, uh, chapter 2015. The Holy Quran is a universal book made The Holy Quran is a universal book made for men and women alike. So this enforces the fact that God wants us to increase and expand our knowledge. In addition to this, there are many hadiths or sayings of the Holy Prophets, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that encourage seeking knowledge. As you mentioned earlier, one of them says seek knowledge even if you have to go to China. This was from a time when there was no ease in traveling. In fact, it was one of the most difficult and dangerous journeys to undertake, yet it signifies that to gain understanding or excel in knowledge, nothing should stand in your way. There's another hadith which states that it's the duty of every Muslim to seek knowledge. The particular wording of this is that it's every Muslim's duty. It's not specifically men, but every Muslim must attain and expand their knowledge. So going back to Fatima's actions, her devotion to attaining knowledge grew to such extent that she then wanted to share this knowledge. It's not only inspiring, but it's also a great example to follow that the only way knowledge can grow is for it to be shared. If we compare Al-Gharavan University with another well-known and historical establishment, Oxford University, the admissions for females was only allowed in the 1860s. but these ladies were only awarded their degrees in 1920 the liberation that islam granted women from the chains of a misogynistic society fatima wholeheartedly embraced it and used it not only to her advantage but then generations of children who were willing to learn um another point um i think worth man- mentioning is that fatima al-fihri inherited her father's wealth she and her sister maryam shared this wealth both women Again, if we compare the rights of inheritance in the Western world, as recent as 100 years ago in 1922, UK granted married women to inherit property, and that too until their sons came of age. Daughters would be disregarded, and maybe their brothers or relatives may feel compassion and offer them money or provide for them, but ultimately it wasn't for them. This is also an important point to consider. that Islam emphasizes that sons and daughters are to be treated equally this returns to the point that Islam provides fairness and equality for all of its followers it's unfortunate that feminism seems to be a 20 or 21st century concept whereas this feminism and equality was granted to us 1400 years ago 
The equality that is granted for all Muslims empowers and should keep empowering women to achieve as far as they can, especially in those sectors which will benefit society for future generations to come. As I said earlier, Fatima al-Fihri really embraced the Islamic teachings and her own love for knowledge to create this wonderful legacy that is still running and growing to this day. Thank you for that. That's such a great point to highlight. Islam has been empowering women for 1,400 years. Another leading female Muslim from early Islam I want to talk about is Hazrat Sayyidah Khadija. May Allah be pleased with her. Hazrat Sayyidah Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, was the first Muslim woman and was a leading and successful businesswoman in Arabia. She was a wife of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings be on him. Her father was a merchant and a chief of Makkah, and she learned her business acumen and skill from him. She took on these skills at a time when trade and business was male-dominated and even dangerous. However, she soon became regarded as a successful merchant woman in her own right. Her business was known to be larger than all of the Quraysh trades combined. Quraysh was, of course, a very influential tribe of Makkah. She employed trade agents who would carry merchandise to other countries and bring back items to be sold in Makkah, something that we see today playing out in modern society in regards to international trade. However, unlike the modern day, many of the trade routes these trade agents would have to travel through were dangerous, and that is why Hazrat Khadija employed trustworthy, hardworking and brave trade agents. Another inspirational woman in early Islam was Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was also one of the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. She played an essential role in the development and spread of Islam during the early years. She was a scholar in her own right and her intellect was beyond her years, even at a young age. Approximately 44 years after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, she continued to serve the cause of Islam. Reading up on this, I found that after the passing of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Aisha played a critical role in the transmission of knowledge she acquired from her blessed husband. She is the narrator of more than 2,200 hadiths, an Arabic term which means sayings and traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, which today shape the Islamic legal traditions. She is one of the most compelling figures in the mainstream of Islamic and intellectual history. Her nephew, Hazrat Ulfa bin Zubair, may Allah be pleased with him, described Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, by saying, and I quote, I have never met anyone whose knowledge surpassed Hazrat Aisha's, may Allah be pleased with her. She was the most scholarly person of her time in the Quran, fundamentals of religion, fiqh, which means Islamic jurisprudence, poetry, medicine, Arabian history, and genealogy, end quote. Many companions of the Holy Prophet often consulted her on matters of religious significance. Now I've talked about two inspiring Muslim female leading figures, included Hazrat Sayyidah Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her. Now, if I can come to you, Madhyam, how does the work of Hazrat Sayyidah Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, impact the world we now live in? 
When the world is looking for the perfect role model for 21st century women, tendency goes towards corporate women making it to the list of the top richest or the woman of the year or women to look up to. However, one of the most overlooked women in history, I would say, a highly successful businesswoman, was none other than Hazrat Khadija. May Allah be pleased with her. She was, as you mentioned, the first wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the first Muslim woman. Again, as you alluded, she was also one of the richest women in Arabia, a woman of such great calibre. Just imagine her daily dealings of business with men, something generally unheard of in that period. Of course, just to note that this was a period of pre-Islamic Arabia. Post-Islamic Arabia had many businesswomen in Mecca because they had the backing and support of the religion of Islam. But Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, was completely on her own and doing trade deals with a large number of men before this. <clears throat> Human nature doesn't change. And so there is much we can learn from Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her. The role model that the world needs is not a woman who has gained it all monetarily or is driven by reaching the top rank, but a woman who has balanced it all and holds precious the real values of humanity, a true businesswoman, an achiever and survivor of a harsh climate when the tide was certainly against women. Hazza Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, demonstrated unequivocal faith and support for her husband, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him. In the moments when he was alone and felt helpless, she stood firmly by him and sacrificed her vast wealth to promote her husband's cause, which was the cause of Allah. She remained steadfast and practiced immense patience at the face of oppositions levelled against her family by the adversaries of Islam. Despite all this, she filled her home with peace and provided her husband solace. It is no wonder she was promised a palace in paradise wherein she was promised no clamour or fatigue. Now, when Islam was under the constant tempest of oppression, Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, stood firmly by the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of God be upon him, and assisted him with moral and financial support. She gave all her wealth at her husband's disposal for the propagation and success of Islam. Her services can only be best described in the words of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, himself. He said, and if I may quote, She believed in me when the whole world refuted and attested to my veracity, when the whole world accused me of falsehood. She offered me compassion and loyalty with her wealth, when everyone else had forsaken me, end quote. In Islam, the role of a Muslim woman is multifaceted and endless. There are some responsibilities that Allah has specifically given to women. We should take pride in those responsibilities that Allah has favoured us with and fulfil them to the best of our abilities. Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, was indeed a true leader and the most perfect role model for women for all time. If we use the example of this great woman in history, we can see how inspiring this is. At a time, pre-Islamic Arabia, where daughters being born were buried alive and women being stripped off their rights, Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, was a powerful businesswoman who used her skills and assets to help the beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the progression of Islam. 
Women were only given the right to work not so long ago in the Western world. However, 1400 years ago, when Islam gave women the rights to work, displayed evidently by the prophets, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, wife, it surely paved the way for Muslim women today. Thank you for that. You truly highlighted how Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, played an essential role in early Islam. Now, I've also briefly introduced the life of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. How has her work impacted what we know about Islam today? I would say that her life is proof of Islam's progressive stance on women. She was a prominent figure who challenged the prevalent stereotypes and taboos of society. Her life ascertains that Islam does not discriminate between gender, nor does it mandate the marginalisation of women. She was a wife, stateswoman, scholar and an enlightened thinker. Most certainly, she was an astute woman who exhibited exemplary moral qualities and became one of the most influential persons of Islamic history. She possessed a great status in general religious matters as well. If we look at Islamic history, we need only to look at the example of Hazrat Aisha, Allah be pleased with her, who attained a great status and who till this day continues to be an example, not only for Muslim women, but also for Muslim men. Where we hold her in a high esteem because she was the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, we also respect and honour her for her own personal qualities, nobility and achievements, and she will always remain a role model for Muslims. It was precisely this exalted example of spiritual and secular knowledge and of the progress which led to the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon him, listening to the lectures of Hazrat Aisha to increase their knowledge. Thus, 1400 years ago, Islam paved the way for both women and men to increase their knowledge and use their intellect. If I just talk briefly about Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, and the amount of knowledge she encompassed, and quote a tradition which narrates, Even the eminent companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, would turn to the sayings of Hazrat Aisha and would seek religious verdicts from her, end quote. Scholars believe that one-fourth of Islamic jurisprudence is based on the accounts she related. Such was her knowledge, which she passed on to the Muslim world. The number of narrations alone reached a total of 2,210. The level of her knowledge and wisdom and deep understanding of religion was such that she was and is accepted as an authority in Islam. It is also related in narrations that after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the companions were not confronted with a single scholarly issue for which Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, did not have an answer to. This alone is actually quite amazing. We read again and again that her knowledge of Islam was so great that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once said that half of the religion of Islam could be learnt by her. Now, let's just take a moment to and think about what this statement really is. How can we say that Muslim women are oppressed when the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that half of a religion can be learnt from a woman? Sadly, the lives of the Holy Prophet, his wives and the women of early Islam are often portrayed by numerous Western historians and scholars in negative light. This is largely based on inaccurate historical material or without consulting original sources. 
This misinformation has been disseminated in the media, magazines and news reports, forming an adverse image of women of early Islam to the world. It is evident and clear from the life and works of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, and the status she had at that time that shows the status that women have in Islam. So yes, looking at her life, we can confidently say that Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, has been a leading pioneer for Muslim women on many levels, with pursuit of knowledge at the forefront. Ahmadi Muslim women today are excelling in a wide variety of academic and intellectual pursuits. They serve as doctors, teachers, scientists, engineers and lawyers, supporting their community and at the time serving their faith. His Holiness, Mirza Masoor Ahmed, the current spiritual head or Khalifa of our Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has also championed women's rights in Islam and has constantly empowered us. In one of his addresses a few years ago, he said, and I quote, Although Islam says that there is a difference in the physical makeup of men and women, and also in their responsibilities, in terms of intellect, just as a man has been given intelligence, women too has also been given intelligence. Just as men have been commanded to acquire education, women have also been co- commanded to educate themselves. As such, Allah the Almighty has granted equal capabilities and means for both men and women to progress and advance. He has granted them both intellect so that they utilize their wisdom and activate their mental faculties and strive to excel one another. End quote. Islam encourages women to pursue professions through which they can benefit mankind and be in leading roles. In another address of his, His Holiness, Mirza Masroor Ahmed, stated, and I will quote again, Nowhere does Islam say that women should be confined to the home as it sometimes is alleged. For example, there are some girls and ladies who excel in studies and achieve extraordinary results, and Islam does not instruct that they should waste their talents or skills and only stay at home. Islam does not restrict them from fulfilling their full potential. Rather, they can pursue those professions through which they can benefit humanity and serve mankind. End quote. Thank you for that. So, so far, we've talked about a number of Muslim female leaders. What qualities are present in these inspirational leading figures that we should be holding on to and trying to emulate? Well, both women have aspiring qualities in both their careers, social and domestic lives. If we start with Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, her business acumen meant that she had a very successful trading company. Uh, We should also remind ourselves again that pre-Islam, especially in Arab society, they didn't hold women or females to any status. So the fact that Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, was able to use other factors like her family tribe uh, to her own advantage and prosper in her business. As you mentioned earlier that honest and trustworthy agents had to be sourced, this was not only for the growth of her business empire, It really shows that she was an honest person and true to herself, no matter how much wealth she had. It really drives the point that she never let greed get to her, nor arrogance. We learn that in the beginning, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, was an employee of Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her. And that is really how she came to know about him. 
As a feminist, it's really empowering to know that it was Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, who proposed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This shows another example that she wasn't someone who was rich and wanted to marry rich, but she was a good judge of character and wanted to be enriched by that instead. She was such a perfect role model of having that work-life balance, as we may say nowadays. She not only ran her successful business, but was also a caring mother to her children and a loving wife to her husband. In a sense, she can say she had it all. But of course, we can imagine the effort that she had to put in, especially in an even more male-dominated world at that time. This is one of the perfect examples that women can do it all if we so wish. Some people are content with their lives and that's absolutely fine. But if there is a desire to do more, then that is also possible. And then on the other hand, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was different to Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, but in no way less. She was younger when she was married and went on to live decades after the passing of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be on him. So this brought an advantage for the Muslim followers that they could learn so much from her after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, uh, departed from this world. The qualities that Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, possessed are an example of exceeding in knowledge. As you mentioned, that she narrated over 2,000 ahadiths, or sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, on many topics, ranging from religious, social, and domestic topics. By listening in on the conversations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, with his knowledge, of course, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was able to continue Islamic teachings for another 40 years after the demise of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be on him. For many young girls and newly married couples, her experience of the time she spent with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, provides many beautiful and inspiring teachings for a husband and wife to have a happy marriage. The successors of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, or other companions would seek advice from Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, entrusting in her vast knowledge. As we just mentioned Fatima al-Fihri um, earlier, Hazrat Aisha is also an inspiring example in how we can also increase our knowledge. Thank you for that. These conversations reinforce my belief that Islam is clearly the opposite of how it's viewed in the mainstream media. But more of that after this short break. You have been listening to Sisters on Air on The Voice of Islam Radio. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Musroor Ahmad has said, Islam is certainly not a patriarchal religion dominated by men. In fact, Islam teaches that in the establishment and development of any nation or community, women play a fundamental and vital role. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Sisters on Air on The Voice of Islam Radio. On today's show, we have been talking about a couple of inspirational and pioneering Muslim female leaders. 
Now, despite the fact that there are many women during early Islam who contributed much to society and religion, I've noticed that much of the media continues to project that Muslim women are oppressed. Madhyam, why do you think that this stereotype is not going to go away that easily? The Islamic teaching about treatment of women is one of the most misunderstood things about Islam. Western women generally view Muslim women as repressed and deprived of their rights. The media portrays the stereotypical Muslim woman as subservient and dominated by her father or husband, with little more status than a slave. You may be amazed to find that for 1400 years, Muslim women have been enjoying rights for which Western women are still struggling for. Islam provides guidance for a peaceful and ideal society. For such a society to exist, there must be a social system which upholds the rights and responsibilities of each individual. Such a system would then provide a balance in the role and status of men and women. This society was in fact created over 1400 years ago by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, through divine guidance in the form of the Holy Quran. Before discussing the positions of women in Islam, it is interesting to understand what the condition of women was before the advent of Islam. In pre-Islamic Arabia and in the rest of the world, their condition was equal to that of slaves and chattels with no rights. Women could neither own nor inherit property. In domestic affairs, they had no rights over their children or themselves. In fact, they could be sold or abandoned by their husbands at will. If they were abused by their husbands, they had no recourse to divorce. They had no real status in the society, not being respected as a wife, a mother or a daughter. In fact, daughters were considered worthless and were often unfortunately killed at birth. Women were given little or no education and had no say in religious matters, being regarded as limited in spirituality and intellect. Now, these conditions existed well into the 19th century in most parts of the world, even in the United States, where some basic rights were given to women only in the beginning of the 20th century. But in Arabia, in the 7th century, with the advent of Islam, the condition of women changed dramatically. Almost overnight, women were endowed with equal rights and put on the same level with men. The most important change that Islam brought for women was to raise their spiritual status. Allah has clearly declared in the Holy Quran that a woman has the same spiritual capacity as a man and she can attain equal spiritual rewards by her own efforts. The Holy Quran says, and I quote, But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, such shall enter heaven. End quote. Chapter 4, verse 125. Another area where you will find that Muslim women have led over other women is in the field of education. Islam stresses that education for men and women is of equal importance, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, laid down that education is compulsory for both. He said, and I quote, it is the duty of every Muslim man and every Muslim woman to acquire knowledge. End quote. It is interesting to note that at the time Islam brought enlightenment for women. In Europe, a woman displaying any kind of knowledge was in danger of being burnt. Furthermore, 
most universities, even in the United States, did not admit women to higher learning until this century. Never before was a woman given the economic freedom, such as given by Islam. Islam makes it clear that she was entitled to possess wealth and property of her own. Whether it is inherited or earned, she has full rights over it. Evidently, by what I just said, the religion of Islam has continued to uphold the status of women. So then why is it so difficult for mainstream media to accept this tenet of Islam? And why is there constant misinformation being spread? Thank you for that. Now, following on, it's hard to talk about female leaders in Islam without discussing one of the key leadership roles in Islam, and that is of an imam. An imam is a person who leads congregation in prayers in a mosque, and a man typically holds this title. Influenced by current phrase of feminism, there have been few campaigns to have female imams of mosques. Some believe that this, the quote, unquote, challenges the patriarchal institutions of Islam. Many have thus asked why there are not female imams and why they are not encouraged. In 2021, Emma Barnett, the BBC Radio 4 broadcaster, famously and some thought unfairly questioned Zara Muhammad, the then newly elected Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain, on why there are not many female imams in the UK when we have female rabbis and priests. Now, Islam says a female leading female worshippers only in the prescribed Islamic prayer is entirely acceptable. I myself have led a few females within my family in worship. However, to have a woman in place as a traditional imam who would lead both men and women in congregational prayer in a mosque or elsewhere for that matter, stands in direct contradiction to Islamic teachings. And that's for several reasons. One of the reasons is that the Islamic prescribed prayer involves a lot of physical postures throughout the course of each unit of prayer. Now, in line with Islamic teaching on modesty and in honouring piracy of women, Islam teaches that Muslim women do not stand in front of men during prayer. Due to this, mosques segregate prayer areas, but where this is not possible, women stand behind men to offer prayers. Praying behind men does not mean that women are in any way spiritually less than men. In the Holy Quran, in chapter 49, verse 14, it states, and I quote, O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable among you is the sight of Allah, is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely Allah is all-knowing, all-aware, end quote. Now, this clearly shows that men and women were created in pairs, equally from the same source. Their biology may be different, but both men and women have equal access to spirituality and God. The fact that you may stand behind a man when you pray or you do not lead the prayer does not mean you do not have equal access to spirituality and God and does not make you any less of a person. 
Therefore, it would not be appropriate for women to lead congregational prayer due to the emphasis Islam lays on safeguarding a woman's sense of modesty, as well as its emphasis on avoiding unnecessarily gazing upon the opposite sex. This is one reason why females are not imams of mixed congregations. Now, I claim to be a feminist, but I don't believe that when agreeing with this, this Islamic teachings that females cannot be imams in mixed settings makes me any less of a feminist. Many Muslim women feel as though they need to continue to justify their feelings to people in order to prove that they are feminist so that they can be accepted by a third party. And I feel that this is completely wrong. This discussion about female imams is not new. Rather, it's been part of a debate in the media for many years. It's primarily fueled by misconceptions about Islam. Now, Mariam, how do these misconceptions impact your day-to-day life as a Muslim woman? Do people view you differently? I think by staying firm and strong in my faith whilst living in society, despite looking different, Islam has taught me the true purpose of life, which is to become a useful member of society by gaining the highest education possible so I can help other people and so that I can create a positive impact in society. Something that His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed explained beautifully concerning the importance of being confident in modesty and remaining strong with the Muslim identity has always touched my heart. It also subtly but strongly touches upon the point we are discussing, female leadership in Islam. I would like to quote it. You will set an example of righteousness and morality that will inspire others and will prove that you are people who choose to follow your faith and that you are the standard bearers for Islam and for women's rights in this era. You will be the ones who lead others towards genuine progress and development rather than simply following the crowds towards meaningless material pursuits, end quote. Personally, my religion and my hijab is a big part of my identity and it does not limit me. In fact, it empowers me. It is a reminder that I can authentically be who I am without hesitation as an Ahmadi Muslim woman living and working in the Western world. It is a constant reminder to myself that I am representing Islam in my actions and how I interact with my colleagues, neighbours and the people I meet. I definitely feel a different level of respect at work. Being a pharmacist and working for a busy NHS hospital, I'm proud to say that my hijab represents me as a Muslim woman. It has never limited me in what I can and cannot do. In fact, my co-workers and my patients are even more respectful. Yes, unfortunately, you still see the odd social media posts on Muslim women being attacked. However, all we can do is pray for society. A society that states that it accepts everyone, no matter what their identity. However, some members still at times fail to accept Muslim women and their choice to represent their religion and how they appear. I love how you just described the role the hijab plays in your life and how it truly plays a part within your identity. Today, we have looked at a few Muslim women in leadership roles, in particular during early Islam. But it's important to discuss the current female Muslim leaders paving the way for the future generation. 
and in our earlier Muslim community, that is the work of Lajnai Maila. Lajnai Maila is the earlier Muslim Women's Association. The term Lajnai Maila means a community of servants of Allah and the organization was established in 1922 in India by His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him as an organization which gathered independent and empowered women. The organization was established by the community's second worldwide leader, but the idea was initiated by his wife, Hazza Amtul Hay, who had a great passion for the development and progress of women. Over the years, the organization has transformed the lives of women of the community, from the humble beginning of the organization here in the UK, with just 34 members in 1957, to over 12,000 members today in the UK, the organization has progressed a significant amount. Today, we hold a significant number of activities and events, including educational and training classes, also known as Dalim and Dalbiti classes, a fundraising fair, which is only a small contribution to the regular fundraising the organisation does. £57,000 was raised for UK charities in 2016 to 2017. Another key event in the calendar is a refresher course. This event gathers the office holders who lead certain departments in the organisation from all across the UK to brush up and update knowledge on various skills required to run the organisation. It plays a key role in creating leaders to run Lajna Imaila. The organisation is celebrating its 100-year anniversary worldwide this year. And one way the centenary is being marked here in the UK is through planting 100,000 trees across the country. They're also funding a maternity hospital in Sierra Leone, which will be called Aisha Maternity Hospital. In Sierra Leone, it is estimated that for every 100,000 live births, 1,360 mothers die due to complications during or after childbirth. Thus, the maternity hospital will serve vulnerable and needy women who are deprived of the necessities during childbirth. Lajna Imaila all over the UK have been fundraising for many years now for the hospital through coffee mornings, cake sales and fundraising fairs. In the Holy Quran in chapter 51 verse 20 it states, and I quote, and in their wealth was a share for one who asked for help and one who could not, end quote. This Quranic verse makes it clear the aim of a true Muslim is that he or she should care for all of God's creation, whether they need help or not, or ask for help or not. So it's clear that it's important to support one another in times of good and bad. Now, I've talked about the fundraising Lajnaimaila do, but how does the work of Lajna, which is an excellent example of female leadership, inspire you, Sophia? In October 2022, we started the celebrations or commemorations of the Lajna centenary. And my local branch president asked me to do a short speech on this exact question. How does the work of Lajna empower you? And I'll be honest, I was a little stumped, not because I didn't know what to say, but I didn't know where to start. The premise of Lajna Imaila itself is an organization which started as a way of expanding knowledge for women. 
As such, in the last hundred years, it has grown to such extents that Lajna all over the world are coming together and helping one another and society as a whole. The main focus has always been Islam and Islamic knowledge, but Islam incorporates social and moral values. Thus, it becomes this wonderful community of sisterhood and compassion, which I believe is important and relevant in this modern day and age. There have been countless um, sports events for those with an active spirit, but at the same time promoting a healthy lifestyle for many. There have been an abundance of competitors in the recitation of the Holy Quran or the Lavat competitions. And as you mentioned, the fundraising in Islam giving to charity is of paramount significance. And the Lajna Imaila have raised money for countless charities in the last century. If we return back to the attainment of knowledge, we every year we celebrate and award the highest achievers in academic studies. Achievements and efforts like these should rightly be celebrated. The Lajna Imaila is such a beautiful example for everyone everywhere that women are not restricted and shouldn't be restricted. Our community have one of the most learned women, but also the humblest as well. It's amazing to see people volunteer their time and energy to organize our own events. If we go back to your question of female leadership, Lajna Maila could probably be one of the best examples portraying uh, female leadership. Under the guidance of His Holiness, may Allah be his helper and Islamic teachings, Lajna Maila is still an autonomous organization where our presidents are chosen by us using a democratic system. Um, a new department was created, Student Affairs, as many Lajna felt that they required guidance as Ahmadi students. We were listened to and I myself am a student mentor for my local community. Now students are being guided on university applications, job interviews, academic skills, all of which are important to contribute to society and the future. As I mentioned that Islam includes social and moral values, our classes help guide those who may need an extra step in their religious journey. One of the main teachings of Islam, which is often questioned by non-Muslims, is the concept of hijab and modesty. Lajna Maila is probably a textbook example that the hijab is not a limiting factor, but an empowering one for an organization which is thriving in every trait charity work, spreading the message of Islam, being high achievers in academia. There is one aspect of Lajnai Maila which I only appreciated once I grew up, and that is the industry and handicraft department. Every year we learn different skills like baking, sewing, flower arrangements, cooking, arts. It was my favorite bit of the Lajna classes we would have because it was a nice break from the history we would learn. But I also realize now that these weren't just so that we can make our vases that much prettier, but each one of these skills can be turned into a business. On social media or online stores like Etsy, for example, people are able to turn their skills into a business and offer their services. It's even more inspiring and fulfilling to see these businesses grow and succeed. I personally haven't seen any religious organization which encourages its people in this way to help earn a living. The proverbial saying that if you give a man a fish, he feeds for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, he feeds for a lifetime. For me, Lajna Maila is such an amazing example of this. We can teach other skills which in turn can be beneficial. 
It's definitely empowering to be learning new skills that can be applied within our lives. Now, following on from that, I'm a politics student and a woman. And it's frustrating to see that only 31 countries have a female president or prime minister. Although we're making progress by providing more women the opportunity to lead, for example, the UK did appoint a third female prime minister, Liz Truss, and in the UK we currently have 225 female MPs, which is 35 of MPs, meaning that this is an all-time high. Much still needs to be done. Even when these women do end up in leadership roles, they're not represented in the best light. Sad as it is, there is a clear difference between the treatment of female politicians and male politicians, specifically how they are treated by the media. It's more likely that physical looks of a political leader will be discussed in newspapers and the media if that political leader was a woman than if that leader was a man. For example, in 2017, Rome elected a new mayor called Virginia Raghi. During her campaign trail, one newspaper headlined, and I quote, meet the beautiful girl who wants to be Rome's mayor, end quote. When she eventually was elected, another newspaper headlined as, and I quote, Virginia Raghi, the new and beautiful mayor of Rome, end quote. Now, clearly, these newspapers had one priority, and that was to focus on her looks. Two studies by Name It, Change It show that when papers comment on the physical appearance of women and use sexist rhetoric, this can negatively impact the way voters view women in numerous ways. So it's empowering to think that Islam, a religion seen by many as oppressive for women, emphasises on not unnecessarily gazing upon the opposite sex, rather their thoughts and ideas should be focused on. In fact, that is exactly why the hijab, or the veil, is so widely encouraged in Islam, as it provides women with freedom from many social ills. In chapter 24, verse 31 of the Holy Quran, it says, and I quote, Say to the believing men that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts. That is pure for them. Surely Allah is well aware of what you do. End quote. The same is said for women too. A verse later, in chapter 24, verse 32. But it's important to note, that this instruction is given by Allah the Almighty first and foremost to men. Therefore, the difference in which Islam and let's say the world outside Islam treats their female leaders can be quite clear. So, coming to the panel now, I briefly highlighted the difference between the treatment of Western female leaders compared to how the Quran instructs us to treat females, be they in leadership roles or not. So what can Western leaders learn from Muslim women who led and continue to lead? If we consider the actual term leader and what it means, from there we can gain an understanding of what it means and what qualities a leader should therefore have. Leadership or leading is the ability of an individual, group or organisation to influence or guide other individuals, teams or entire organisations. As we mentioned earlier, that Islam is the first religion which truly identifies that the contributions of women in society are just as important as those of men. 
Islam has no limitations on a Muslim woman in seeking to be a leader or have leadership qualities. If we just consider the dynamic at an average household, the woman is a leader in her own right, just as an example, a mother guiding her children towards the right path. In the beginning, we also spoke about Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, and how she had trustworthy and honest people working for her. This clearly is a fundamental quality to have, not only in being a leader, but also as a human being. An honest and trustworthy person can grow their relations organically, building true and worthwhile relationships in any setting. Therefore, an honest leader will always have the trust of the people they wish to lead and guide. Earlier, we also mentioned the Lajna Imaila organization, and as I mentioned, that at each level, local, regional and national, there is a president who oversees the day-to-day running as well as the organization of the events. This is done democratically, so who we want us to lead is given this duty and office. This also reinforces an important point that as Lajna Imaila follows the teachings of Islam, hijab and modesty does not prevent or stop anyone from achieving what they wish. You can still be a a wonderful leader. There are many amazing examples of leadership within the organisation of Lajna. These are fair and compassionate ladies who, even with their own family and personal responsibilities, make time for their Lajna members. They make sure everyone is comfortable, looked after, if they require help or assistance. This empathy and compassion, again, provides a genuine relationship with everyone around them, allowing trust to not only build between the president and the members, but between the members as well. These are some of the main and important qualities of any leader, be they male, female, Muslim, Christian, atheist, etc., It is the importance of justice, empathy and compassion. Fairness and compassion are just some of the main virtues of Islam that no matter what another person's belief or faith is, um, they are to be treated equally as humans. We see increasing prejudice and injustice towards people from all walks of life. So I firmly believe that if you're a fair and truthful leader, then your people will believe in you. During the recent COVID-19 pandemic, the Prime Minister of New Zealand put her people and country first by protecting them and assisting in the best manner possible. These particular qualities were also mentioned by His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, and he praised the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, following a very sad and unfortunate terrorist attack. The compassion and empathy and love that was shown to the victims But then also, the bond that was created in the country between its citizens are an example of what a good leader can display. This is definitely a wonderful example of leadership. To quote directly, His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmed said, The most excellent and moral way New Zealand's government, and particularly its Prime Minister, has responded to this attack has been exemplary and is most praiseworthy. It has been a reaction of the highest order and I pray that Muslim nations learn from this model of morality and each play their own role towards eradicating all forms of religious hatred, end quote. That is a great note to end our show on. On today's show, we have discussed several Muslim women in leadership roles in early Islam, which continues to inspire the new generation today. 
a lot of Muslim women in early Islam have not received much coverage on their exemplary work for society and religion, yet their work continues to be remembered today. We would like this show to be a reminder to everyone that Muslim women are not how they are portrayed by the media. I've been your host, Simila Nam. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Sisters on Air on The Voice with Sam Radio. Thank you once again to our studio guests, Sophia and Madhyam. Your thoughts and your views have been very insightful. Please join us again next time for more discussions on matters relating to women in religion and society. You've been listening to Sisters on Air on The Voice of Islam Radio, produced by Shamin Bhatt. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you.